Hey, y'all. I got to use the handheld mic because my head's too big. <laughs> I should have paid, clo- paid closer attention to Adam's talk. I'd have been all right. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm here to talk to you about missional innovation. I was 16 years old when I found out that I was going to be a father for the first time. I was cast into the natural world of sin's consequences. And I had two alternatives, run and hide from my responsibilities or be strong and courageous and show myself to be a man. The latter was impressed upon me about 18 months later when the gospel tracked down my heart like a cheetah chasing after an impala. Here now lied in my arms my infant son, and the option had been pressed upon me to take full custody of him due to his mother's unfortunate inability. So I stood there in my godmother's dining room frantic about my new assignment in life, and she looked at me and she asked me this question. She said, would you give up your son's life so that others might live? And I responded, I said, mom, listen, now's not the time for games. Like, I'm trying to figure out this life. How am I going to raise this boy on my own? Please stop with these silly questions. And she responded with the full spirit of an innovative mind seeking to find ways to enter into the brokenness of my life. And she said, well, baby, it's just funny because that's what God did for you through his son, Jesus. The gospel had hit me like a freight train. And then I was faced with the same two alternatives, run and hide or be strong and courageous. See, fast forward past the romantic notions of being a single father, I was now faced with some real life decisions that would affect my well-being as well as my son's. Where would we live? How would we survive financially as I struggled to work and go to school full time? The most important question of all, what would we eat? Because back then I didn't have access to Leon Scrump's Instagram page to find recipes and all that other stuff. After all, I was a teenage millennial male and I didn't have much experience preparing meals for a child. So allow me to introduce you to mustard chicken and microwaved egg sandwiches. See, my son learned at the age of three how to cook scrambled eggs in the microwave. And he got really good at it. And he also learned how to prepare mustard chicken. Now, mustard chicken was just some grilled chicken tenderloins that I had grilled up as I was on my way to class, and he was put inside of a bowl, and he would take the yellow mustard out of the refrigerator, and he would squeeze it on top of the chicken, put it in the bowl, and he would shake it up vigorously, and he would have one of the best gourmet meals that you never want to have. Mustard chicken was an innovation of mission. And here was the mission, survive. See, for us, survival hinged upon the realities of our poverty at the time. 
And for our family, I, I wanted you to note that this global church that we are a part of is now faced with the same call to mission today, innovate or die. See, the death I speak of is one of irrelevance. It's one of ineffectiveness. And it's one of irreverence. See, innovation doesn't just mean doing new things. We're, we're not out here trying to be cool and, and break ground in that way. That's not what we're after. But it means doing old things in a new way. Yes, we, we have some beautiful foundational histories that we all stand upon. And the call to missional innovation is not a call to abandonment, but a call to adaptation. Yes, uh, our histories, they are rich and full, but our strict adherence to the reform codes of our 1689 and Westminster Confessions aren't going to help us to turn the tide for the future that we long to see. You see, we, we face some old heresies and demons, that's true, but they have been genetically modified. And they are immune to the antibiotics of our past victories. We need new medicines. We need new strategies for administering, administering those medications. And we need new innovations for diagnosing the cancers of our culture. See, the LGBT conversation is not one that can be met with the same rhetoric. The conversation about systemic injustice is not one that can be met with the same silence on our parts. We have to create new and innovative ways to engage these atrocities of gender violence and social and societal deluge that our culture believes that they have solved without the church or his Christ. And as it has been well said, we are not defined by our past, but we are defined by our futures. So I pose this question to us today. What does our future look like? Does it look like innovation or irrelevance? Does it look like adaptation or atrophy? Allow me to point us to the word of God for our answer. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. And I'll begin in verse 9. See, at the start of this chapter, Cornelius, the centurion, has a vision of an angel who instructs him to sin for Simon Peter. And this is where this jumps in. Verse 9 says, the next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. And he became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. Peter was hungry. I mean, he was going through. You ever been that hungry? He started hallucinating and stuff. That was Peter. Then it says he saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
He said, no, Lord, I, I can't do that. For I've never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken into heaven. See, we see Peter here now being left perplexed about the meaning of this vision. No doubt he is now faced with the pain of abandoning everything that he had held dear for the course of his life. All of the strategies that he had implemented, all of the metrics that he thought were going to get him to the place that he desired to be, he is now having to abandon all of those things. And here's what missional innovation causes us to do. It causes us to surrender to the notion that everything that is nutritional in our life ultimately has an expiration date. You have to maximize on the nutritional value of an avocado by consuming it within its expiration date. Avocados, they're amazing and good for you. Until they're not. That's why I believe God didn't allow the Israelites to gather more manna than they could because he didn't want them to be reliant upon yesterday to sustain them for today. And I believe that that's what the call is for us in this season for missional innovation because if we're honest, we're guilty of that time and time again. We hold on to things because they were once nutritious. And now they're rotting away in the bottom drawer of our philosophical and missiological refrigerators. We have to know the difference between when our missiology has a little bit of brown on it and when it's time to throw it away and go back to the grocery store and whip up something new. So some of us, we're running a 15-year-old church planning playbook. When the culture is two years ahead of what the present is. We will not win the cultural fight with outdated weapons, even if we are more theologically sound than our non-reformed counterparts. So we have to see the way forward. We've got to see it like this. Theologian says that change is not only possible, It is normative for those who live their lives with a sense of holy calling, a determination to follow Jesus wherever he leads. So missional innovation is the natural consequence of following Jesus. Acts 10 peers us into this. Verse 15 lets us know, that you don't have to violate in order to innovate. See, I know that some of you are looking around and you're seeing things and you feel challenged and you're thinking in your hearts and in your minds, well, I can't do that. That's going too far. You look in your hearts and your minds and you feel like that's a, a deviation from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, is that what God has called clean, we cannot call unclean. 
The call to innovation is a call to reimagining. And God wanted Peter to reorient his perspective about what God could and couldn't use. We've seen the reality in music. When I first became a Christian, Christian hip-hop was on the rise, and everyone argued that God couldn't use something so sinful and degenerate. But look at what he's done. The next is this, is that innovation requires you to challenge the status quo. We have to look at things through the lens of verse 14 when, when Peter, he's looking here and he's saying, no, Lord, I, I, I haven't eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. And God responds to him a second time and says, what God has made clean, do not call impure. What are the things that you are calling impure that God has made clean for usefulness? We have to ask those questions of ourselves. The next one is the adaptation to innovation. It takes time. See, verse 17, we see Peter here being deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean. Peter needed some time to consider those things. And if church planner, let me talk to you. If you walk into your city and you think that you've got all the answers for the woes of your city without having spent any time with anybody in the city and have conversations about what the hood might need or what, what the rural area might need or what the city might need, then you're confusing yourself. It takes time. The next is this, is that innovation, it requires some experimentation. Verse 28 Paul says this, Peter said, Peter said to them, you know that it is forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. Peter showed up to this meeting outside of his comfort zone. He was experimenting with this idea about how he could go with some Gentiles and be in the room with them. And for us, missional innovation is a call for us to be in some rooms that we may not necessarily feel comfortable being in. We might have to sit with some people and discuss some things with them that we're not comfortable sitting with them and discussing with them. But innovation requires experimentation on our part. And next, innovation requires preparation. Verse 30 says the Cornelius replied four days ago at this hour at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house just as a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa to invite Simon here, who is also named Peter, and he is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So immediately he sent for him. And he says, it was good that you came to me. So now we are in the presence of God to hear everything that you have been commanded by the Lord. We need to have the right people in the room in order to help us navigate the necessary. We're a young network and we're, a lot of us are young pastors, 
But we needed a commitment, and innov- missional innovation calls us to have a commitment to have some people in the next generation in the room with us. If we're not willing to listen to their voices and hear what they have to say and glean from them and learn from them, then we'll miss what's coming up in the culture because they're the ones who are dealing with it day after day. Next, this is number six. Innovation requires participation. We can't be afraid to get involved with different methodologies and innovations. God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And lastly is this, innovation produces results. Verse 44, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few more days. See, when we step outside of our comfort zone and place ourselves in the position of Jesus, who would sit with sinners, who would sit with a woman at the well, even though that was looked upon as a negative thing, we sit at the feet of one of the greatest innovators of all time, Jesus Christ. And if we are his, then we are called to innovate as well. And so my prayer is this for our network, that as we enter to 2020, that we don't go in without 2020 vision to see clearly what God requires for us to do in order to innovate and reach new people in new spaces and new places with new hearts and new minds that are directed towards him. And I pray that we would reach a thousand churches in 2020. But if those aren't 200 more churches with innovative minds, let us stay at 800. Because we need the power of God and the spirit of God to walk us into this next season of ministry, into this next season of the culture. We need the power and the spirit of God to help us to be free from the things that we've been holding on to for the whole of our ministries, thinking that they were effective and people are walking away hurt and broken because we don't know how to sit and have a conversation with them. I pray that we would be innovative, just like our Savior, who went to the cross to die for us and created a new humanity in him. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, God, to see you clearly and to walk with you and to be creators as you are. And God, I pray that our leadership would be one that is marked by creativity and innovation. And this next season, God, of church planting and this next season of our network, God, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive what you present in front of us 
and that we might not call unclean what you have made pure. In Christ's name, amen.